Welcome to the Transportation Podcast, brought to you by MarketScale. I'm your host, Elmer Guardado. Humans found a way to launch other humans through the sky in a metal tube that flies. And somehow, we still found a way to make every part surrounding that experience an absolute nightmare. How can we change this? To find out, we're sitting down with Peter Schmidt, COO and co-founder of Transcend Air, who claims that they found a way to make business travel awesome instead of awful. Peter breaks down and explains how he and his company found a way to get you from New York City to Boston in 36 minutes, and we're also going to talk about why air travel has remained relatively stagnant over time, and about Peter's love of aerospace. How you doing, Peter? I'm doing great, Elmer. Great to be here. Yeah, thanks for hanging out with us. So, we kind of have a big, uh, a big topic on our hands, right? Because one of the things that immediately uh, caught my attention was something you wrote in the pre-interview survey when we asked you, you know, what's the story of your, of your company? And, and the answer we got from you was creating business travel solution that is awesome instead of awful. So you already got me on your side. Well, good. I think I, I will have everybody who's ever traveled for business on my side because uh, it's gotten pretty, pretty awful. Um, I don't think that's too controversial at this point. No, I think that's a pretty safe answer. <laughs> so how is uh, Transcend Air Corporation doing that? Let's start a little big in, uh, you know, what's your elevator pitch when you have to explain this to strangers? Our elevator pitch is that we have designed an aircraft that takes off and lands like a helicopter, but flies fast in between like a jet. That allows us to unlock the heart of cities and offer city center to city center business travel without the having to use airports. So we free business travelers from the time and hassle of getting to an airport, through an airport, onto an airplane, and along a crowded taxiway before they finally get into the air. With our aircraft, business travelers will be able to walk from their office in a city center to our vertipad departure point, uh, be whisked directly to another vertipad in the city that that's their destination, and then walk to their meeting. Uh, so we can cut door-to-door travel times by anywhere from 65 to 80%. And that can all be done at a price that's comparable to current Uber plus airline ticket plus Uber for a business trip. Okay, so how is this, how is this happening? Why hasn't it happened before? Well, it hasn't happened before because the technology to build an aircraft that can do this uh, has only matured relatively recently. So our aircraft design is the ultimate evolution of a design that first flew in the 1960s successfully. Uh, It's a tilt wing. So the whole wing of the aircraft tilts along with the propellers. Uh, This is similar but different from the V-22 Osprey that the U.S. military uses, the Marine Corps in fact. Uh, The Osprey actually tilts the engines and not the wing. And instead of propellers, it uses helicopter rotors. So it is more than 10 times more mechanically complex than our tilt wing design. Um, The tilt wing design wasn't successfully commercialized um, for a few different reasons. But the most important one of which uh, is the weight of the aircraft versus the power that jet engines of the 60s could provide Uh, didn't result in an aircraft that could provide acceptable levels of commercial service. In the ensuing, you know, approximately 50 years, the power of jet engines for a given weight has about doubled. Uh, But even more importantly than that, a new technology has enabled the aircraft, and that is the whole airframe parachute. 
Uh, the whole airframe parachute was pioneered in the late 1990s by a company called BRS Aerospace, and it has been most prevalently deployed on Cirrus Aircraft's SR-22 family of light piston single-engine aircraft. And the wonderful thing about the BRS parachute is in the event something bad happens, instead of trying to make a, you know, a forced landing somewhere, uh, the pilot just pulls a handle and a giant parachute pops out of the back of the aircraft and the whole aircraft just floats down to the ground. So this is a proven technology. Um, but nobody has yet deployed it, to, uh, sorry, built it into a commercial aircraft. We're going to be the first people to do that. So how, how are you doing that? What does the, 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 you know, this airliner look like? How many people does it seed and, and uh, what can people expect in, in regards to like maybe an example of how much time you're cutting away from the process? Absolutely. So the aircraft has six seats, one pilot seat, five passenger seats. The interior is very roomy. Uh, we have 23-inch wide uh, leather-covered seats. They're going to feel very luxurious. Uh, that's two inches wider than a first-class airline seat. Uh, and 500% more legroom than, <laughs> than coach on an airline. Um, three times the legroom of first-class. Um, so the uh, And a cup holder at every seat, I should say. Um, and the uh, time... For our example, we use the Boston and New York example a lot. Um, the, from skids up to skids down is 36 minutes in the air. So, you know, if you figure you're going to walk 10, 15 minutes from your office to depart and then another 15 minutes to your destination, that's door to door in about an hour uh, with no sitting in traffic at all. Um, and, uh, you know, the ticket price for that's $283. Okay. Wow. So that seems that seems fairly reasonable. Well, it is right now. Uh, if you you know, I, I monitor this periodically. If you go and uh, look at what an Uber would cost you during rush hour to get from Wall Street out to LaGuardia, and then you look at a current Delta ticket price with a you know sort of two week advance purchase, and then you look at the Uber from Boston's Logan Airport to Post Office Square in downtown Boston, the total is over three hundred dollars. So you know, we're saving you 7% in hard dollar door-to-door -door travel costs. Not to mention that if it's only an hour each direction, you don't have to do the, I'm going to go the night before and, and book a hotel room thing that most business travelers do um, because they've been burned too many times by canceled flights or bad traffic somewhere. Right, right. So how does this work from a regulation side? Have you guys had any uphill battles or what? how's that been? No, not at all. A key aspect of this is that uh, we don't need any modifications to existing uh, regulations. Um, the FAA last year approved uh, a rewrite of the part of the federal aviation regulations that governs the certification of aircraft like ours. And that rewrite uh, is a strategic moment that's opened the door for us to certify this tilt wing design. Uh, on the air traffic control and operational side, we fit within the existing air traffic control regime. So, you know, we don't require any special uh, changes to the regulations. We won't interfere with the existing flow of commercial air traffic in and around big cities. Um, we, uh, we have a, a designed approaches and departures to and from the vertipad locations we want to use that are completely compatible and don't conflict with the airliners going in and out of the airports. Okay, well, that's that's super exciting then, because it seems like you avoided 
usually the headaches that come with, you know, entering into this kind of space? Well, absolutely. And my background is I spent five years running a small charter airline uh, here in the Northeast. And so I'm very familiar with um, all of the regulations and the operating models and, you know, how it all works. And that's that's a big piece of what has gone into driving the design of this aircraft. Uh, the other half of that is my co-founder and our CEO, Greg Bruhl. Um, he's been a visionary around VTOL for a long time. I mean, he would tell you since he was a child, stuck on the Long Island Expressway, he, he fantasized like all of us do it periodically, you know, about being able to just lift up out of the traffic and fly somewhere. Um, and so this aircraft doesn't quite get you to that Jetsons, that Blade Runner vision um, of being able to rise up out of a traffic jam. But it is, for business travelers, the next best thing. Right. I mean, the next best thing is removing the airport out of the process. So, Yeah, exactly. I mean, once you're, once you're in the air and flying, uh, you know, the flight time on the routes we're doing would be about identical between our aircraft and, uh, you know, a 737 or an A320. But it's all of the time and hassle that congestion forces you to endure on the roads to the airport and then within the airport um, and even getting on the airplane. You know, just the congested line to get on and off an airliner is is a time waster and a source of, you know, hassle and annoyance. And so this model lets you distribute the air the uh, lets you distribute the aircraft capacity and the departure and arrival points around cities um, by floating in barges that the aircraft can take off and land from. So it's a distributed incremental model as opposed to the highly centralized monolithic airplane and major airline model. So compared to anyone else trying to do this, what makes Transcend Air's business model different or better or, or however you would describe it? So nobody is trying to do exactly what we're doing right now. Uh, I think that will change as people see us getting traction and understand the reasoning behind our business model. So we do expect some competitors to enter this market. The closest uh, closest to competition we have is there are a set of companies that have announced their intention to create new aircraft that would be hybrid electric designs and would take off and land from reliever airports uh, on the outskirts of the city. So, you know, that would be in the New York area would be uh, Westchester County, White Plains Airport, or, or Teterboro, instead of JFK, LaGuardia, or Newark. In the Boston area, it's Hanscom Field and Beverly instead of Boston Logan. Um, you know, in Chicago, it's Midway Airport instead of O'Hare. Uh, and, you know, around all major cities, there are these reliever airports that are kind of on the outskirts. And they're underutilized. And so it's popular to think of these as an underutilized resource that could be activated. Um, but the problem that they're going to have is the problem I had at Linear Air, and that is the population density near that airport is low because it's out in the suburbs or it's out in the country. There aren't very many people that are closer to that airport than they are to the main airport for the city. Um, and even if there are people who are closer to it, so for whom it would be more convenient, that small fraction never wants to travel to another city to a meeting near the reliever airport there. There's nobody who wants to depart from Bedford and have a meeting in White Plains, New York. Everybody who departs from Boston wants to have a meeting in Manhattan. And there's nobody from Manhattan who wants to come up here and have a meeting in Beverly, Massachusetts, you know, northeast of the city. 
Um, it's a beautiful community to live in, but there's essentially no business that somebody's going to travel. I mean, when I say no, it's not exactly zero, of course, but right, it's, right. it's a tiny, tiny, tiny fraction. So I'm I'm sorry that those companies are pursuing a business model which uh, I've already proven doesn't work. Now, of course, when I went to Linear Air, I thought that uh, that could be a really strong source of growth, and it I it took me several years of of us trying all sorts of marketing approaches to learn why that doesn't work. Um, and it doesn't mean that there isn't business to be done. There is a market for aircraft that flying in out of those fields, but it's a private aviation market. And so to the extent these new aircraft designs uh, succeed, what they'll do is they'll displace older aircraft designs with new technology, but they're not going to unlock the door to um, ubiquitous travel from reliever airports because nobody wants to do that. <laughs> right, right. So how long has this company been in its current iteration? Uh, it's been in its current iteration for um, about two years, almost two years now. But uh, there, I've been involved with Greg and maturing the ideas and the economic model behind it for um, over five years now. I started out informally advising him and then uh, consulting to him and he, back in 2013, he joined an engineer who had been prototyping um, VTOL aircraft designs and had gone through a succession of prototypes. And he got to one with a tilt wing like our aircraft has that flew really well. And Greg found him online and was very excited. And so the two of them founded a predecessor company, uh, which was called Elitron Aircraft. And I actually joined Elitron briefly before we formed Transcend. Uh, so I, what I would say is that we're about six years into a 10-year aircraft development program. So what's it been like, you know, especially this week we were talking about before we started being on CNN and getting more uh, media attention. What's that been like? Has it been, you know, I'm sure it, it's a good feeling, right, to be acknowledged, but has it also added, you know, a new level of stress or, or uh, you know, anxiety to this whole situation? Well, it's, it's great fun. Uh, it's especially nice to see a lot of people uh, get excited about what we've been working so hard on in sort of in secret for so many years. You know, we were in what startups call stealth mode for most of the past six years. Uh, not entirely. You know, Elitron did some promotion. People, There were people in the industry who knew about the development of this VTOL aircraft. Um but the general public hasn't heard about us until recently. So it's just wonderful to see the enthusiastic reaction. And it's what we predicted, of course. We, we are business travelers ourselves. We designed this solution for us. And so uh, it's not surprising that other business travelers are enthusiastic about it. But it is very gratifying to see. Um, you know, by that same token, um, we suddenly have uh, a whole new set of <laughs> activities to stay on top of which is, um, you know, interviews with folks like yourselves and, um, and getting our narrative out there and, and looking for, you know, when, when you tell a story in public, um, people try to understand it based on what they know. And VTOL aircraft are not something people are very familiar with. The only, if they've heard of them at all, the only one they know is the V-22. The V-22 is a very different aircraft. It's a military aircraft. It's much, much more complex. It's seven times bigger. Uh, it has a different mission and a different profile. And, and it had, you know, a troubled acquisition history. It, that, that program was canceled three times um, and then restarted. 
and people sort of have this memory of the program having difficulties and it sort of translates to the aircraft. And so getting our message out there and explaining, no, we are different um, and this will be safe. You know, it has a whole airframe parachute. Um, making that point is a new uh, task that the team has to take on now, now that we're public. Right. And it, and the good thing, I think, is that, you know, you, you you're, you're going after a problem that there's no denying its existence, right? So you automatically have so many people like myself. When I read that first, you know, line, I was like, oh, I'm immediately on board. I'm rooting for, for these guys no matter what, just because they're, they're solving one of the, the, you know, what has become one of the, just our biggest like daily annoyances that feels like, you know, a relic from another era. Well, exactly. And, and Greg is fond of pointing out that his big motivation for starting this company was that, Travel between Boston and New York, which he does frequently because he has family in New York and lives in Boston, worked up here. It's gotten worse over the past few decades. You know, there used to be an express in the 40s. There was an express train, a steam train that did the trip between Boston and New York in under three hours. I think it was two hours and 45 minutes. Um, There is literally no way to get between Boston and New York that fast today. So you know, in, in the, whatever it is, 85 years, we've actually gone backwards. Um, and you know, there used to be before nine 11 and the security burdens, um, that imposed, you know, you, you could get between Boston and New York on the shuttles in yeah, something like maybe two and a half hours door to door. And that's gone because, you know, there's a whole nother hour of waiting in line or because of security and, and how that that's happened. And also because of growth, um, Air travel has been, uh, air travel demand has been doubling. No, not doubling. Air travel demand has been growing so rapidly that the airline system can't keep up with it. And we're at the point where it's totally saturated. We cannot build new runways or new airports near major cities. So urban planners, everybody understands that there have to be some new solutions for, um, for travel, both shorter distance and longer distance. And we're not going to solve all the problems. Um, We're going to contribute to keeping up with demographic trends and population growth. Um, There's still going to be room for rail solutions. There's still going to be room for uh, other novel solutions, Um, you know, maybe even a hyperloop. But the, the differentiation of our solution is that we can do this incrementally, profitably, and without massive public subsidies. You know, California's high-speed rail line, um, has been, I think, over a decade in the works one way or another. They've put many billions into it already, and the last estimate I heard was that it was going to be over $100 billion to complete it, and nobody thinks that's economical, so it's stalled. Um, The Texas high-speed rail stalled. Um, So I don't, right now, we don't have a good model um, for a high-speed rail solution, and I think Hyperloop is the same problem, but with digging big tunnels underground. So we're happy that um, regardless of how successful those other models are, and maybe there'll be, again, something novel we're not thinking of yet, um, we will have a niche and a value. So you mentioned security in, in the TSA. Is that something that, you know, is regulated, something that's going to affect, uh, you know, the way you guys operate? Is that so- like, what about security? Is that something you're, you're thinking about? Um, well, so the good news about about TSA security is that for small aircraft like ourselves, um, we do not have to do the kind of pre-screening that you go through at airports because the threat from a small aircraft is minimal. Um, and, and the TSA and the regulations recognize that. Um, 
the uh, I don't know if people remember, but the week after September 11th, 2001, a, uh, a troubled teenager in Florida crashed a small airplane about the size of our aircraft into an office building, I think in Miami. And the damage was broken windows and uh, a small fire on a desk that was put out by the sprinkler system immediately. Um, you know, there's just the, the energy differential between an aircraft our size and an aircraft the size of the aircraft that were flown into buildings on September 11th is literally on the order of a million times less. So yeah, so then it balances out in that in that regard. Exactly. So you know we do have to. Um, there is a requirement for commercial travelers, even at small scales, that we check the passengers prior to letting them embark against the uh, TSA no-fly list. Um, so there is that level of security. You know, we're not going to let okay. somebody who's on the no-fly list onto an aircraft. Well, that's definitely good to hear. So one of my last questions for you, uh, Peter, is. You know, I, I assume one of the biggest challenges for, for a company trying to do something so bold is attracting venture capital, right? How has that changed over time as you as you guys have started to, you know, have a, a stronger presence online, getting some media attention? It is, I'm, I'm sure it, it will forever be some sort of obstacle, right, as it, as it is in this business. But, you know, how has it changed even in the last couple of years? Oh, well, there's no question that the more progress we make on the program, the more interested potential investors are in what we're doing. So we have uh, a committed and enthusiastic cadre of private investors that have helped us get to this point. And certainly the media of the past uh, two weeks is causing more conversations to happen more easily now. Um, you know, I like to, I like to tell people, I've, I'm a serial entrepreneur, I've done this a bunch of times. I like to tell people that building a startup is like building up a spiral staircase that you're, while you're climbing up it. <laughs> and so the challenge is to get the next step down below your foot before you need to put your weight on it. Um, and, and it's spiral staircase because you keep coming around to the same issues each time, time and again, but just at a higher level. So, you know, early on, we were talking about small amounts of money in order to complete the design and, and go review that with NASA and make sure it worked. Uh, then it was a bit more money to build some, you know, new round of prototypes and start flying those. And then the next... Next big round of fundraising will be oriented towards building manned carrying air, prototype aircraft. You know, so we keep taking proof, we keep making proof points that makes people comfortable in investing. And the earlier people invest, you know, the more they're more of the company they get, the bigger the payoff they're going to have later. So you know, we're we're marching along that path. And you know, to your point, it's not it's not trivial, it's not easy, but um, you know, we've we're experienced entrepreneurs. We know how to do this, and it's going well. Well, that's exciting. That's exciting. Peter, my last question for you is, you know, you, you describe yourself as someone with, with a lot, lifelong love for, for aerospace. So how exciting is it to now be in this niche in an area where, you know, we, we, we've talked about it, how it's, it's virtually untouched, at least in the way you guys are doing it. So how, how does that feel? Like it must be super exciting to, you know, have your own piece of that pie. Oh, it's, it's incredibly fun. It is incredibly fun. Um, I wake up every morning with a huge to-do list and I want to do all of it as fast as I possibly can because it's all interesting and it's all, um, it's all making good, helping us make good progress. And I've gotten to interact with, um, you know, the smartest, most prominent people working at companies that have always been kind of legends to me, you know, Bell Helicopter, Boeing, um, you know, 
Honeywell and, and all of these aviation and aerospace companies, um, you know, we, we went and presented our design at uh, Ames, uh, NASA Ames out in California, where the world's experts in VTOL flight are. And, you know, what was supposed to be a 45-minute meeting turned into a three-hour discussion. So, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's by far the most fun thing I've ever done. Well, Peter, we're excited for you, and uh, we wish you the best. Thank you so much for sitting down with us and, and for being so candid with me. Oh, my pleasure, Elmer. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you'd like to find out more or listen to previous episodes, you can go to marketscale.com industries and subscribe to articles, podcasts, and video content for your favorite industries. I'm your host, Elmer Guardado. Have a good day.